0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic for tonight might not be exactly what you expect for this season. If worry. You might say, oh, what a bummer for this season. She comes with a topic of worry. But I hope that I can take you along on a process that I've gone through in my own practice where I've entered the door of worry and have come out on the other side of peace and tranquility. I find it rather hard that in the holidays at the drop of a hat we're supposed to feel peaceful or tranquil and, and happy on top of it. So it's a tall order and it puts a bit of stress for some people. So yeah, the idea tonight is to really investigate, investigate worry. As, uh, a lot of you know worry is one of the five hindrances together with restlessness. So restlessness and worry, the fourth the fourth hindrance and The hindrances are mind states that, as the word says, hinder our progress in meditation. So let's look at the definition of restlessness. Inability to rest or relax as a result of anxiety or boredom. I thought it was interesting that it's also boredom. The boredom also can be a way for us to get all restless. So come on, give me some entertainment. Now worry, a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or imagined problems. I want you to know that I added the imagined part in the dictionary. It wasn't in that. It was only uncertainty over actual problems. But I think that this practice gives us plenty of experience <laughs> about all the problems that never really happened and that we imagined. So as the actual or imagined problems. So another part of the definition that I found interesting is the, that we allow our mind to dwell on difficulty or trouble. So I like the part of allow because there we get a sense that it, we choose At some level, this state. Other words associated with worry agonize, fret, panic, get worked up, torment oneself, and particularly interesting for our practice is the overthink and brood. So we can see that there is some overlap between the restlessness and worry. There is overlap in the meaning of both of these. But for our purpose of investigating, we're going to say that restlessness is just the agitated mind. And worry is when that agitation has a layer of fear underneath So we find out very uh, quickly in our practice that when the mind is agitated, it falls easily into worry. It's just a little step away from it. So if you have worry or restlessness and worry as one of your favorite hindrances, you have a lot of company because this is a very, very common hindrance. And it is said in the Dharma that restlessness and worry are one of these um, last mind states or afflicting mind states that we free ourselves from when, when we are on the path towards liberation. I found a graph online that I found it was interesting about the use of the word worry. The graph showed from beginning 1800 to 2010. And guess what? The graph went like this, up, 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 way up in 2010. So it's safe to say that if we're using the word more, (laughs) that we are more worried in our times. So I gave this talk uh, in Spanish this last Tuesday and I thought it was very interesting that one person made the comment that for him this state was so familiar and common that it was like a common companion for him and that although he recognized it was odd that he had grown to be kind of attached to this state. And that's a very, I found it was very perceptive of this person to say this because I think this is very, very much the case in our time. But we don't really recognize it. So this state that this person was describing that becomes so common, this common companion for us, is kind of like the way we are the whole time. It's become a way of being. First a habit, and then a way of being. But it's also partly this confusing the energy that is felt with restlessness and worry. We confuse this energy with vitality. In some way, we like this feeling of Energy that is a a bit like a feeling of caffeine in our body. So, in our practice, it is very important that we familiarize ourselves with afflicting mind states that are common for us. And the way that we are asked to familiarize ourselves is to have a very clear Sense of how this, these states express themselves in your body and in your mind. It's going to be different for you and for you and for you. So each one has to discover and really be intimate. How is it? Really show curiosity. How is it that worry expresses itself in my body and then in the mind? So I'll, t- I'll give you a short list of things I've observed for myself. <clears throat> so there's, of course, a sense of agitation when there's worry in the body. And then there's a sense of abundance of energy. But this energy is erratic. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. And it seems to bounce around in your body in a way that... Um, you don't want to sit still. The last thing you want to do when you're restless is to sit quiet. So this state drains our energy, our vitality. And it has a very different feel from vitality. So we want to learn the difference of how it feels to, be, to have vitality and to have this erratic energy bouncing around. So it causes tension. For a lot of people, it causes us to eat too much. For other people, to eat too little. It disrupts our sleep. And in general, you know, it's damaging for for our health. So in the mind, <clears throat> how does the worry expressed in the mind so there's a, a kind of agitation in the mind in that there are incessant fast and unproductive thoughts so here's where we have this overthinking this brooding so a worry begets worry and it tends to proliferate more and more worries The mental clarity, when we're worried, eludes us. We don't see... And we we don't have access to our creativity, so we are not really able to tap into um, unexpected options. We also tend to be kind of at our edge and can get irritable very easily and often as we know it can cause it can cause depression so we know of this uh, feedback loop that we have between mind and body so an agitated mind will tense the body and a tense body creates even more worries so you know it's it's Definitely a feedback loop between between mind and and body. So if we don't catch this feedback loop early, we know it can get pretty bad. The image that uh, came to mind for me was a, a snowball that begins to roll downhill, and the the as it's rolling down, it gains speed and also gets bigger and bigger. So here is where our practice comes in, in a very, very important way. You know, the, the mindfulness is what allows us to early on catch these thoughts But let's look first of why is it that that worry arises. As As I really thought about this, I thought it was interesting that somewhere we have a belief that worrying has a purpose. That if we worry, this is going to keep us safe. That we are somehow going to be able to control things, and that it has a that it has a benefit, so worrying kind of gives us the feeling that we can do something about our uncertain an uncertain future so This practice, I think, shows us clearly that that worrying is not going to save us from the troubles, the uncertainties, the sorrows of tomorrow, but it certainly robs us from the richness of the present moment, of the today. So the worry, I would say, has a direct correlation with a, busy life, many, many to-dos, many commitments, and living in a hurry. The, when I was thinking of, you know, this life that we are always in a hurry, the, the words of the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland came to my mind. That I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And just like the white rabbit, we feel very important when we are in a rush. I, had a, I lived in a community for a while, and I had a, a roommate who worked in corporate America. And every morning she would get up, and she says, I'm late. I can't really talk. I have to go. And she would say this about five times. And we were just kind of sitting there looking at her as like, you know, you would be out the door if you were to say good morning calmly. <laughs> and go, right? But instead, just like the white rabbit, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. So it's just a way of being, you know, where, you, where we start churning this wheel and it just becomes a way of being. And we're not any more efficient, if you notice. We drop things, we forget things when we're when we are in a rush. So the other thing that I've been noticing is that the faster our technology gets, the faster we think we have to be to keep up. See, we're permeable beings and we feel urged to speak, to think, to act as quickly as our gadgets. I've noticed it in myself. I don't know if you've noticed, but... You know, I've I've become so fast with my computer and it's like, why? Who's gonna give me a prize at the end if I typed more words? So let's look at a very different world. I just returned a couple weeks ago from a little tiny village in Oaxaca, Mexico. And I got into a conversation with a young man who who was a taxi driver, and he was telling me about his life. You know how he lives a pretty precarious life, depending on totally dependent on the tourist season. He said, "I half of the year I can live pretty well, the other half of the year it's precarious because there's no income. There are no tourists. I sit around with my taxi." Now, what I found interesting is that this young man conveyed calm, kindness, sense of humor. And I thought, you know, it's like, what this, what goes here? It's like, how is it that he can be so calm? So, because certainly he has reasons to worry. One of the, the, the things that, I was thinking about his life that is quite different for us is that he's very he has lived his whole life very very close to nature you know as a child I'm sure he worked hard but I could see the, the young boys in the, in the beach when around sunset time just running around and, and inventing surfboards and surfing the, the waves and just having a wonderful time So this ability to be close to nature, to live in, you know, the town is also this sleepy town that has a very, very slow pace. So our life is very different, but can we make time to get out, to be in nature? And I think most of us notice that just being outside in a beautiful setting, our mind just settles a little bit, and somehow we can think about our problems in a slightly better way. And then also t- just to try how much can we simplify our lives even here in the middle of Silicon Valley. So I think it's very important when we talk about worry um, to say that, that I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that we stop to have prudent considerations about our lives but we need to differentiate that there is a very clear difference between worry and what we would call a prudent consideration about what's going on and you know I mean we all have difficulties and we all need sometimes to sit down and really consider you know what am I to do with this challenge so let's make a clear distinction when we're talking about worry we're talking about an afflicting state that agitates the mind it tenses the body clouds over our clarity of mind it's ineffective and it drains our vitality when we're dealing with prudent consideration it considers the challenge with calm there we tend to have perspective with a, hopefully with a relaxed body, that we choose to do it at the right time in an effective manner. And it allows us to connect with our create, creative mind that can see options where we usually don't. So here is where we have the role of mindfulness is essential to be able to differentiate when we are in worry mode and when we are capable to have this prudent consideration. So part of the role of mindfulness is our ability to understand our whole experience, so complete and with clarity. That's a very, very big gift that mindfulness gives us. I mean, it it happens gradually through the years of of practicing. So this is an essential uh, gift for us to know where are we at? Are we in a state that we can have this productive consideration or not? So establishing an intention is very important. As we know, Wise intention is the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. And one intention that we can set for ourselves is to be able to detect early when these worry thoughts arise. It's a, a quote from the Dalai Lama. If you have fear of some pain or suffering, you should examine whether there is anything you can do about it. If you can, there is no need to worry about it. If you cannot do anything, then there is also no need to worry. (laughs) Very practical. So now let's look at the questions. How do we deal with restlessness and worry? Okay, So now it's present. Now what do we do with it? So as I said, ideally, if we have been practicing mindfulness and meditation for a while, we will be able to detect it early on. Now, detecting it early on is not as easy as you think. I've noticed in my own mind that worry shows itself often as in the beginning, very wispy thoughts that are very subtle. If we're not able to detect that, which most of us don't, because we don't even notice it, that we are that this is the beginning of worry, then they begin to get more energy, and then it goes into the body. When it goes into the body, usually we notice. So, mindfulness, of course, trains us to notice it when they are in this subtle state. The next thing that we really want to practice that is extremely helpful is the practice of naming it. Naming it. There is worry. And notice the, the, the kind of language that we use it's very impersonal, there is worry, as opposed to, I am a worrisome person. Oh no, here we go again, I'm such a worrywart. So, <clears throat> if we identify, we lock ourselves into the worry more. If we can just say there is worry, there's already, we're already protecting us ourselves by giving a little bit of perspective, a little bit of space. Now, often, when we are already very much into the worry mode, as I said, we don't really want to sit, and we need to listen to that. Sometimes the worry is so strong that what we need to do is go and move, and move really vigorously. You know, we have the health to do it, do it. I mean, it's a great habit to form. You know, it's just like, okay, the I know right now that that the body is such and the mind is such that meditation might not be the right thing. Okay, go exercise. I'm a big proponent of sweating your problems. And the diet, of course, cut cut down on the caffeine and the sugars. I mean, I can see. I I I start drinking caffeine and the worries right away. So it has a price to have this, this uh, abundance of energy that, that, that caffeine gives you. So when we do realize that meditation is the right thing for us, then I want, I want you to, to bring to mind this, this wonderful image that, that the teacher and monk Ajahn Suchito offers. He says that the worried mind is like a little bird caught in a very strong wind. And this poor bird is being thrashed around hither and thither. And he says, we want to invite that little bird to find a little sheltered nook in a tree and invite him to rest. Now, the equivalent of this poor bird that finds a safe place to rest is for us to sit, meditate, and bring the attention to the body. The body. Just a very simple cycle. What, what is the body doing? Can I feel the two aspects? The contact of the chair with the hip, the clothing, and the movement, the breathing, and the sensations. It sounds very simplistic, but that's what protects us. That's what gives the mind a rest. So there will be a thousand thoughts that say I have a lot more interesting and more important things to think about than to pay attention to the movement of the breath. But, you know, hopefully we've already learned that there is a reason why we do this. So hopefully you've, you've all experienced that um, moment when you have managed to settle and f- finally the body begins to whew, settle and relax and you take your first deep breath. To me, it's a very, very noticeable turning point. It's like the body goes... Ah and the moment the body goes ah, then the 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 quality and the speed of the thoughts this, the speed goes down and the quality changes so it's very much as if this rolling ball that was gaining momentum suddenly comes to a straight a, a flat place and it stops rolling so from there when the body has Soften a little bit, and we've taken our first deep breath. Very soon afterwards, maybe you've noticed already, what happens is that these beautiful qualities in the mind begin to arise. Compassion for ourselves, perhaps a little humor about our weaknesses, some kindness. And then these beautiful qualities are the equivalent like the sun shining on this big ball of snow and begins to melt. The size begins to shrink of this ball. So some time ago, knowing that restlessness and worry was my my favorite hindrance, I thought, you know, I think it would be good to create a list of the kinds of worry that I have. Well, first I said, just, I'm just going to write a list of the things I worry about. So I did. And it was mighty long. And as I went back and I started to look at the kinds of worry, I realized, oh, you know, there, there, are, certain, there are certain groups that I can see. For example... We worry any time we feel one of our many identities is threatened. So each one, each one of us has an association with many, many identities and characteristics. And they are a real drag, let me tell you. (laughs) When you become aware of, um, let's say I have an identity of a teacher, and if I really believe that, then it becomes stressful because anytime things don't go the way that I want to see this identity protected, I'm going to be in bad shape. So just... Kind of kindly look at what is it that you identify with. Mother, husband, father, engineer, programmer, whatever. So we also worry a lot about how others might perceive us. And there I found very interesting at some point I started to notice in myself how the same experience, I would perceive it very differently depending on my own mental condition or inner ecology. So if you notice that the same experience can be perceived by you totally different depending on what's going on inside, then stop and think about it. How much authority do you want to give somebody else on how they see you or how they think about you? Maybe they they stabbed their toe that morning and they're in a very bad mood and so just the slightest thing you do is not going to go well. And we give authority, that's the worst thing. We give authority to other people and uh, as far as what they think about us. So one of the, the freeing things about, about looking at how our mind works is to realize, hey, it's a losing battle. <laughs> Forget about trying to control how other people see you, what they think about you. It's quite freeing if you really can take it in. Olin Miller says, you probably wouldn't worry about what people think of you if you could know how seldom they do. <laughs> and why do they seldom do think about you? Because everybody's so busy thinking about themselves. So that's another, another little insight into, well, you know, maybe it's not so, not so helpful to be worrying about this. So we also worry about the inevitable strife and tensions that are part of human relations. We worry about how we might lose what I have, a dear one, wealth, material goods. We worry about how we might get sick or about aging. We worry that whatever is going on right now, it's never going to change. So just to give you a little taste these these groupings of worries fall very much into what we call in Buddhism the three characteristics the impermanence anicca the not self anatta you know with all our worries about identities and the suffering or not satisfactory of dukkha Dan Sadra says, worry is a misuse of the imagination. So I started the talk mentioning that at this particular time in my life, I was inspired to, to investigate worry. You know, having, having somebody quite close to me go through is going through a very difficult time. And so I felt particularly inspired to, to look into, into worry. So, you know, for months I've been noticing how easily the mind can fall into creating these stories of, of worry. But through the last months I've also repeatedly have brought the mindfulness every time the worrying thought comes that I can notice it. And also, it's very helpful to exchange them for the worry thought you exchange it for a thought of loving kindness or of metta. Wishing well to the other person. Very important also to repeatedly set the intention of being able to see the reality. You know, that might be challenging for you. You set the intention. May I be able to accept it? May I be able to see it with perspective, with clarity, with compassion, with equanimity? So this is something that has been in my practice for for the last few months, and you never really know you know how it's going to to um, support you? but I wanted to um, to share with you how, in a very unexpected way, this this practice of the last few months of investigating, of setting the intention, of really applying the mindfulness, uh, arose in an unexpected way. So again, I was—it happened uh, in in this little village in in Oaxaca a couple of weeks ago. I happened to be in a just gorgeous natural surrounded. It was a, a, it was in a swimming pool that was kind of up high and you can see the ocean below and I was the only one in the swimming pool and I was surrounded by beautiful, colorful bougainvillea and, against the, the blue sky and the vast blue sky. And I was submerged in the cool water and I was allowing my body to just move freely. So I was having a very, very pleasant time. But what was really wonderful is that in a, completely spontaneous way this insight arose of into equanimity. I had been um, saying, repeating to myself the phrases of equanimity but at that moment something unusual happened. It is as if the the phrases were internalized and they were in me, they were felt. And as a result, there was a sense of peace and, and well-being. The difficult situation, it's still there, but how I'm relating to it is different. So to finish, I... I wanted to offer you this, these phrases of, of equanimity and maybe at the proper time they might come or shall we say may they come at the proper time and also support you. So I invite you to close your eyes and I will... These are the phrases that we usually... Repeat when we do equanimity uh, guided meditation. I accept reality just as it is with tranquility and equanimity. May my heart open to the conditions of this reality with respect and care. May my heart open to the conditions of this reality with balance and serenity. May my heart open to the conditions of this reality with wisdom and loving-kindness. And if the worry is in relation to somebody else, then we want to bring these words to our mind. The other is the owner of his or her thoughts... Words and actions. For the other to be or not to be happy depends on his or her thoughts, words, and actions, and not my wishes and goodwill. I accept reality just as it is, with tranquility and equanimity. So let's take a few minutes to just be in silence. Thank you very much. And I hope that this door that we've opened of worry takes you all the way to peace and tranquility. Have a good, good week.